Hey, this morning, you may be seated. Thanks for being here. I have a new ministry I want to tell you about, uh, have these guys tell you about. And so, yeah, you guys go ahead. What are we doing here? So we're, we're starting, we've launched a counseling ministry. It's a biblical counseling ministry at our church, something that we're really excited about. Over the years, when people have come to us uh, with challenges that they're facing, that they're stuck, sometimes we would, we would kind of send them out because we weren't necessarily equipped or prepared or staff to be able to care for uh, the people at Outward Church. We've been encouraged uh, by the local ministries here uh, in Salem. They said, you can do this for yourself. You can care for your people. So they've done some training, some equipping, and some encouragement. And we are so blessed to have as an elder, uh, Mike Patterson. He has 20 years of biblical counseling experience. He has a doctorate, him and his wife, 20 years experience. Uh, and he has a doctorate in uh, biblical counseling. He's a professor at Corbin. He's kind of the clinical director of what we're doing. Mike, will you tell us what is biblical counseling? Well, thanks, Brandon. Biblical counseling uh, has been developed to help people think biblically about the issues of life. You know, life can sometimes become overwhelming, confusing, and biblical counseling uh, provides input from people who are trained to point people in a direction that they'll make their decisions in a way that will bring honor to God and that will be more effective for their lives. Yeah, what's the vision for this, uh, you guys? Like, what are, we, what are we hoping that this is going to become as we go on here? So as we grow this team and grow this ministry, our hope, the hope that's been kind of, I think, pressed on, on our hearts, the hearts of the elders and the leadership at Outward Church is we can offer counseling for free, not only to the people of Outward Church, but people outside of the church. And so when you uh, encounter somebody who could use some help, you can direct them our way. And in that moment, we, are, we, are, we can introduce people to the gospel we can show them uh, what it means to live in community and connect them. This is an integrated part of the ministry at Outward Church. Connect them to the community here at Outward Church. So we're all in this season from time to time where we need to just off-ramp, heal, recover, and then reintegrate into the church and into community, and that's our, that's our hope. But also we need to, to grow kind of the training aspect of that. Mike's going to speak to that. Well, sure. You know, we all actually counsel one another all the time. But what we're talking about here is another level of counseling in which you actually uh, go and talk to someone who's trained to help you think through things that might be a little more complicated or troubling than just the day-to-day -day stuff of life. And so what we do is have uh, training available, and some of it's been done remotely up until now, but we're going to be offering that at the church as well in the future. But we have some counselors who have gone through a year of specialized training in order to help them become very effective in this model. And uh, many of them will also go on to a second advanced year of training as well. And so we're excited that this kind of uh, equipping of these uh, special disciplers is going to, has already occurred in some and will be occurring in others in the years to come. That's right. So we have a, a team of, of four ladies, two guys. Uh, and the way that you can get plugged in and, and uh, uh, checked in or uh, signed up for this, uh, you can go on our website, outwardchurch.com. We have uh, outwardchurch.com slash counseling. You'll find a link there. Uh, it tell all about what we're doing, a way that you can get uh, signed up. You fill out an application. We do a quick interview to make a care plan. Uh, we've got a separate office uh, for our counseling and uh, something that we're really excited about. So spread the word. Consider uh, if you're in need of, of some help, some healing. Uh, feel free to sign up yourself. 
Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Sweet. We're excited about that. Thanks for listening and uh, being a part of that. Uh, one other thing you may have noticed uh, this week, if you're, you follow us on Facebook or anything like that, that we have uh, something called Repentance Sunday that's happening uh, tonight. And ultimately, so you might be wondering, what are we repenting over? Uh, that kind of whole thing. I don't know if you agree with me that like there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff. And to the degree... Uh, that we could say, hey, what, uh, what is, uh, is God trying to get our attention? I'm not saying that God caused the fires. I'm not saying that God uh, caused coronavirus. But is God trying to get our attention? Uh, because throughout history, what we've seen is that God gets people's attention uh, through the circumstances of their lives. And so the response that he calls for from his people is repentance. And so you may be thinking to yourself, hey, I, I'm not sure that I have a whole lot to repent about. Um, it's them over there that are, that are causing this, whoever, whoever that is, uh, you know, <laughs> Big Pharma or <laughs> the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever. But ultimately, we got to own our own stuff. We have to own uh, our, our role, our responsibility in, in what's happening here. And so uh, we believe that this is a critical time for the church to come together. And so I got an email this last Monday. That's why you're hearing about it now, not weeks in advance. I got an email this last Monday from the president of the network that I'm a part of, uh, that we are a part of, called uh, Acts 29. Matt Chandler sent an email out to all of us just saying, hey, I want to ask you guys to participate in this. So there's uh, hundreds of churches uh, that are joining in with this, not just Acts 29, but many other uh, denominations and organizations and things like that. And so I want to invite you to be here tonight at 5 p.m., uh, to come ready to, uh, to, to pray together, to, to have your heart filleted in some ways that, that says, okay, wh God, what are you trying to say to me? What, what do I need to own in my own personal life? And so I want to invite you to that. It'll be five o'clock tonight. This will not be some massive program. There's not going to be a bunch of worship. We're going to come together and we're going to pray. There's some child care. And so we'd love to see you be uh, a part of that. That's tonight at five o'clock. We will be... In Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40, I will not cover the entire passage. I will read the entire passage, uh, and then we'll go from there. Like I said, uh, there's a lot going on in our lives. There's a lot that's, that's happening today, and I don't know whether you feel it. I don't know uh, how you're responding to it, but there's a lot of people there's a lot of organizations, there's a lot of affinity groups that have a lot of different solutions for the ways that we could resolve what's happening in our lives, the difficulty of the situation that we find ourselves in. But we see a woman here who has been dealing with an issue in her life for a long time, and she, comes, she finally comes down to this point, to this desperate moment to this desperate moment where she says, okay, fine, I, I'll, I'll trust Jesus. And so what I really want to get at this morning is I want to get at how does somebody come to the point where they say, okay, I'm going to finally reach out and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment. I'm just going to reach out after him and I'm just going to try to connect with him and I'm just going to finally give up all hope and everything else and just say, I just want Jesus. I, I, I want us to come to the point where we, where we find ourselves in a desperate, uh, in, in, in desperation, I should say, 
in this moment in time, in this place, in this cultural moment where we find ourselves, because that is what matters today. And you may have walked in here with a pseudo faith in Jesus Christ. You may have walked in here with some level of church attendance. You may have walked in here with some level of morality. But I've got to tell you that all of uh, those things can be false saviors until you come only in desperation to Jesus, just to him and nothing else, and leave all of your efforts all of the pop, uh, pop psychology, all of the self-help, all of that stuff, until you come to that point where you can leave all that behind and say, I just, I'm just going to try Jesus. You're lost. You're lost. Let's look at the passage. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. That's important. Because Jesus just healed a man who had been demon-possessed. And everybody was afraid because Jesus had this amazing spiritual power. This is what happens when Jesus heals. When Jesus calms the storm in the story before that, people are afraid and they're going, what is going on? Who is this guy that calms a storm with a word? Who is this guy who can speak and demons leave in a moment's notice? So Jesus has power over the natural world. He has power over the spiritual world. And this story is going to be about Jesus having power over sickness and death. And so these people say, we just want you to go. But the other people welcome him as he returns. And so Jesus' effectiveness happens when he is welcomed. And whatever that looks like. I mean, certainly God is sovereign. Certainly Jesus can do whatever he wants. But it seems like Luke is trying to point out where Jesus is welcomed, he powerfully works. And I think Jesus this morning would say that to you. Welcome him into your life and he will powerfully work in your life. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood was ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, uh, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. 
and all were weeping and mourning for her because he said do uh, and, and all were weeping and mourning for her but he said do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him knowing that she was dead but taking her by the hand he called saying child arise and her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat and her parents were amazed but he had charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, this story is an incredible story. You have this man, Jairus, who is a uh, a synagogue leader. He was high up in the religious order at that time. And so for him to come down and fall down in front of Jesus and beg him to come heal his daughter was pretty amazing. There's desperation there. He's, He's left the temple He's left all of the rituals and all the ceremonies and all of that stuff. And he comes and he falls down in front of Jesus. And uh, to his amazement, Jesus says, okay, let's go. Let's go heal her. But in the process, Jesus gets sidetracked. We don't know what Jairus is thinking during that time. But we have this woman who's been sick for 12 years. She's been sick for 12 years. And here she is. She has this issue of blood. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know that she is unclean. She's somebody who cannot get into uh, the temple. She cannot get into there to be around people because she would cause other people to be unclean. She would be somebody who everyone would think is a pariah. They would not want to be near her because to even come in contact with her would make them unclean. And so here she is, a woman who is uh, greatly distressed. She has been sick for many, many years, and she cannot seem to come to this place where she is healed. And so finally, there's this moment in her life where she finally says, okay, I'll try Jesus. And she reaches out her hand, and that is the primary focus of what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm very thankful to uh, Charles Spurgeon, who has an excellent sermon on this which I believe is healed at last or something like that. But you can look up the passage and, and find that there. It's a fantastic sermon, and I've borrowed a little bit from him. But it's, it's fantastic. But what we have here are three things. What did she do? How'd that work out? And what should we do as a result? What did she do? How'd that work out? And what should we do as a result? The first thing that we have to see here is, if I can get there in my notes, What did she do? How does she deal with this disease? How does she deal with what she's experiencing? How does she deal with with what's going on in her life? Because I think that there's at least four ways that she could have dealt with this. There's four ways that I think that she could have, have dealt with the situation. She could have been indifferent about it. She could have been indifferent about her situation, and she could have said, uh, you know, uh, at some point when I have more time, I'll kind of deal with this situation. At some point, I'll I'll kind of uh, deal with what's happening, and, uh, you know, she kind of ignoring her disease, and I don't know if you know somebody like that that has some type of a physical ailment, but they refuse to take the medication, and they refuse to whatever, but she could have been somebody who was indifferent, and many of us here this morning also have a spiritual disease. In fact, all of us have a spiritual disease. Some of us 
have not been cured by the master, Jesus Christ, yet the healer. All of us have a great disease. It is a spiritual disease. It's a spiritual disease that is running through our lives. The chaos that we see in our world comes from a spiritual disease that everyone does what is right in their own eyes, that everyone decides that they're going to do whatever they want, that everyone decides that I should be high and lifted up and everyone else should worship my choices, my decisions, my life. They should live for me. I should be glorified. There's a spiritual disease, and that spiritual disease is an indication of what's really behind that. This spiritual disease that's driving us, and, it, and it's, it's, it's driving us in our lives, is motivated by the reality of impending judgment. The reality of the wrath of God. The reality that I am a sinful human being that cannot get to God, that cannot heal myself, that cannot. And there is something that we all innately know and that is that I will experience the judgment of God. I will experience the worst of the worst. I will experience it someday. And this spiritual disease that we have goes on and on and on. And just like her, it's not been healed yet. And so we can be indifferent. And you can say, you know, at some point... I'll maybe acknowledge this spiritual disease. At some point, I'll get to it when I have more time. At some point, I'll seek after God. At some point, I'll, I'll look for him. At some point in the future, I'll come to a place where I finally decide that I'm going to do something about it. So you can be indifferent. Or you could be somebody who sits in despair. She could have been in despair over her disease, and she could have just been destitute. I'm sure we've known people who are dealing with cancer, and it has just brought them low. It has brought them so low, and so they find themselves in this place of, of depression and anxiety because of this impending disease upon them. And there are many people here this morning that you are aware of your spiritual disease. You are aware of the sinfulness of your life. You are aware of the judgment that's impending on you. You are aware of that. And yet you sit in despair and you say, God could never love me. God would never forgive me. God would never take somebody that's as damaged as I am. God would never, God would never, God would never. But that is to completely disregard the entirety of Scripture. Where God repeatedly holds out his mercy. He holds out his grace. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. God is coming to you and he's saying, I have what you need. I have the cure. But yet some of us are determined to sit in despair and say he could never love me the way that, the way that he loves others. Because I've just done too much. She could have been indifferent. She could have been in despair. She could have sat in pride. The religious person's problem, oftentimes. She could have sat in pride and said, I can overcome this. I know what to do. 
I know how to make this work. I'm just going gonna, gonna to work out a lot. I'm going to uh, go do this, go do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I, I'm, I'm eating right. I'm only going to drink LaCroix. I'm going to eat, eat a lot of kale. I'm gonna, not that people that drink LaCroix and eat kale are prideful most of the time, but I'd be gluten-free uh, as well. Not that they're prideful too, but you know, I just like to rip on those people. But anyway, sorry about that. Uh, and, in any case, no, she could have been sitting in pride. She could have said, I can overcome this. I can make it happen. And instead of seeking for an answer, she could have said, I have the answer in myself. Isn't that the phrase of our, of our world? You have it within you. Every graduation uh, ceremony will have a speaker that says, you have it within you to solve the world's problems. And you, you know the lie that they will feed you? You are God. You can figure out how to make it work. You can solve all the world's problems. Just be yourself. You have it within you. You can change the world. And you can sit in pride. One of the most major problems of our world. The spiritual disease will not be overcome by you and I just believing that we have the answer within us. Because it's just spiritual pride. You can't overcome it with more church. You can't over, overcome it by coming to church. You can't overcome it by just more Bible reading or prayer alone. You can't overcome it just by becoming more religious, hanging out with more religious people. You can't overcome it by just stopping that sinful habit. You can't overcome it. You won't do it. You're sitting in pride. She could have been delusional. She could have been delusional coming to Jesus with a, a, a false hope or the false hope of, I'll come to Jesus at some point. At some point, I'll be a man of faith. At some point, when life slows down and I'm not trying to build a business. At some point, when, uh, when, when, when this takes place or that takes place, I, I know that I have a problem I know that I have a spiritual disease, but I just can't seem to feel my way into this. And someday, God's going to come to me, and he's going to cause me to be a man of faith or a woman of faith. Someday, I'm going to find a church that I really like, and then I'll really join into it. Someday, I'll, th these things will happen, and then I'll finally be a man of God. And I'll stop all that stuff. She could have been just putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, and so could you. And so could you. But Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him while he is near. You don't know how long you have on this earth. You don't know how many more moments you have. You could drive home today and be gone in a moment's notice. There's a litany of things that are happening in our world today that could take your life like that. You don't know how long you have. If you think that at some point I will, at some point, you're missing the point. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the moment to deal with your spiritual disease. Now is the time. And you can't put it off another moment. Now is the day to take care of 
This issue of I have a spiritual disease. I am alienated from God. I cannot get to him on my own. I cannot stop sinning enough. I cannot start going to church enough. I cannot give my way out of this. I cannot wait it out. I cannot do anything. I can't wait for it to come to me. The word says you must seek after him. What did she do? What did she do? What did this woman do? Did she resign herself to her state? Did she say, you know what? What happens, happens. Nope. She determined that if there was any way to be cured, she would find it. She determined, I will give everything I have. I will go to every single person. I will try everything. I will go in every nook. I will go in every cranny. I will go to every single doctor. And so she went to every single doctor. She went to doctor politics. And she said, maybe politics will help me come to a place where I feel good about my life. And this world will change for the better. And then politics will be okay because we got the right person in the Supreme Court. And we got the right person in the, in the, in the uh, presidency or in the governorship or, or wherever it is. You could be somebody who says, you know what, I'll go to Dr. Religion. Religion will fix me. It'll make me better. Did she resign herself to her state? No, she went after it. She went after it hard and she tried and she looked and she scoured all things trying to find out how can I deal with this disease? How can I deal with it? She went in every place that she could possibly think. She talked to people. She read books. She got advice. She listened to podcasts. Probably not, but let's just say she did. She listened to Oprah. She read a book by Jordan Peterson. She has some good friends that told her, you know what, you should try this. And if you know anything about medicine during that time period, it was really bad. I mean, there, 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 there is some stuff about boiling an onion in wine and then drinking it. And, and then if that doesn't work, then go out to a, a crossroads and stand at the crossroads and, and uh, hold a glass of wine in this hand and something else in that hand. And then somebody else has to come up behind them and scare them. And then, and then she'll be healed of this, of this very same sickness. There are all, all kinds of stuff. Medicine at that point was so bad that it oftentimes surgery meant you were going to die. Prescriptions were ridiculous and oftentimes poisonous. She was in this place where she was trying every single thing that she could think of because she had a disease. And I wonder if you might be trying every single thing that you can think of. If I could just get to the point where I have this amount of success, then I wouldn't feel like something is lacking in my life. 
If I could just get that promotion, if I could just get that husband, if I could just build my business, if I could start a business, if I could get to a point where, where, uh, where I felt amazing pleasure, if I could just get to a, a, a place where I no longer have to feel through substances, if I could just get to a point where I have good friends, if I could just get to a point. See, you, you've got to understand here that our spiritual disease leads us to search for and search for and search for salvation. We don't call it salvation. We call it meaning. We call it purpose. We call it life goals. We call it success. We say, if I could just get to the point where I have this, then I would feel this way. I feel it in my own life. Spiritual disease, the effects of it still go through your life in spite of having put faith in Jesus Christ. We still have a, a body of sin that we will battle with until we see Jesus again. I, I feel the effects of it in my life as I've seen successes in my life because I love to build things and I love uh, to make things and I love to experience things and I, and, I, and I get to a point where I say, if I could just get to this place where I own that or I start that or I grow that, if I could just get to this place, then I would feel fulfilled and God is always faithful to show me Matt, that does not fulfill you. That does not ease the tension of the spiritual disease that you have. It will only be resolved in me, in Jesus Christ. See, Christians are oftentimes just as susceptible and yet don't even know it. We, we become people who at one point have received Jesus Christ as Savior yet never see any change because a real touch of Jesus has never really happened. A real hope in him, a real trust in who he is has never taken place. It's, it, you never actually took hold of him. You acknowledged a series of truths, but it never took root in your life. Or maybe it did take root in your life, but then you go on to something else. You go on to another savior. You think, okay, I've been saved from, from sin and I, and I basically have some type of fire insurance, if you will. But then nothing else ever happens. You acknowledge the goodness of God. You like Christian people. You think, hey, I'm conservative. Aren't Christians conservative? Okay, therefore, I'm in. That kind of thing. And by the way, that's not always true. You think, I, I can get there on my own. And what happens is this, is that the disease continues on. You and I are living delusionally. You and I are in this place where we are trying everything, one thing after another, after another, after another. Do you feel it? Do you experience Or are you in the middle of your delusion? Are you in the middle of your pride thinking that somehow you don't really need Jesus, what you need is for all of these people to stop being such jerks. You need your spouse to start acting a different way. You need to, whatever. Are you sitting in your pride? Are you sitting in a place 
where you just refuse to acknowledge your spiritual disease and refuse to come to Jesus because there you still have hope in something that you're doing. Well, my friend, you are not ready to receive Jesus Christ. You are not ready to see your sin resolved. You are not ready because you still have hope in something else. So how'd that work out for her? How'd it work out? That she tried everything. In the book of Mark, which tells the exact same story, he elaborates just slightly on it. In Mark 5, 26, it says, she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. How'd it work out? It didn't go well. Instead of actually getting better, it was a drain on her finances. Instead of actually getting better, she grew worse. This guy told her to go here, and it got worse. And so she went to another guy, and he said, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Here's what you should do. Go do some jumping jacks, run around, eat some kale, you know, jump off the bridge, and you'll, you'll be saved. How to work out? It didn't work out well. She just continued to get worse and continued to get worse and continued to get worse. And she be, uh, grew more and more broke. She had less and less finances. She came down to the bottom of her purse. And she tried it one last time. And once again, She's left with nothing. And so where is she at? She's in a place of desperation. See, the same is true for all of us. For all of us who are searching for salvation or meaning or purpose or vision or whatever you want to call it. For all of us who are searching to be saved. And all of these means the more you try, the more you put into it, the more you give effort, the more you spend, the worse it gets. In fact, Spurgeon says, all that you do apart from Jesus in order to win salvation will only cause you increased suffering. All that you do apart from Jesus in order to win salvation will only cause you increased suffering. Because it might work for a short time, and it just prolongs your coming to Jesus. Or it doesn't work. And as a result, what you have is you have a broken family. Because you broke faith with your spouse. Because you were searching for salvation in a new mate. Because you kept betting on and betting on and betting on this great venture that was going to be the next best thing and you lost everything as a result because you were so into your work and you believed that if I could just if I could just make it to that next level then I would get there but in the midst of that you had to sell your soul you had to sell out your family 
You had to sell out your friends. You had to be somebody who lied. You had to be somebody who was unfaithful in so many different ways. All that you do apart from Jesus Christ for salvation will only make you more miserable, will only bring more suffering, at least eventually, if not immediately. You may think for a short time that you have what you need, but you must understand that you still have the spiritual disease, that the judgment of God is impending upon you, that he can and will ultimately hold you accountable for every careless word. Not just all the bad things that you've done, the careless words. The insult. The snide comment. The sarcasm. He's not just holding us account to that. He's holding us uh, uh, to account for all things in our lives. Our spiritual disease is rooted in the reality that we will experience judgment. And all that you do apart from Jesus in order to win salvation will only cause you increased suffering. How'd that work out for her? Nothing worked. Nothing helped. It only got worse. She only sent herself into poverty. And she's finally left with nothing. She may be homeless, friendless. And she's finally in the place where she can trust Jesus. She's finally in the very place that she must be in order to receive Jesus. One day she's pretty destitute. Her sickness is is really taking root. She's losing a lot of blood now. Her face is, is very pale. She's a very frail person where she used to be alive and and thriving and vivacious maybe in some way. Here she is, withered away. You may not even be able to recognize who she is because she's so frail and she's so weak. She can barely move herself around. And so one day she hears that there's a guy in the market who's healing people. And then the next day she hears the same thing. There's a guy who's healing people, but he went across the lake, so she loses hope. But then one day she hears again, hey, there's a guy in the market, and I just saw him, and there's somebody who was healed, and I just heard that he healed a guy, that guy across the lake, that wouldn't let you pass, that was demon-possessed? Yeah, that guy. He healed that guy. And so she's healed, and she hears from these different people, and she says, oh my gosh, maybe this is it. And he's healing people for free. She's, he's healing people for nothing. He's offering it free. And so she gets herself together, 
She puts on her robe, whatever it is that they wore. And she just can, she can barely move. She moves out there. And, and as she gets into the market, what she sees is that there are hundreds of people who are packed around Jesus. There are people who are clamoring after him. He's this giant celebrity and everybody wants to be around him. Everybody wants to see him. And the only thing she can think about is that like, I just, I've spent everything that I have and I have nothing. I have nothing. I'm in desperation. I cannot heal myself. And I'm begging you this morning, if you're here and you have not given your life to Jesus and you've not trusted him, and you have not actually put faith into him, that you might gather your stuff, that you might begin to make your way out, and that you would start to walk towards Jesus. Because he's just standing there. And that you would begin to walk to him, and you'd begin to count all of the ways that you've tried, all of the things that you've done, to maybe try to make yourself better, to maybe... Try and make yourself feel good to maybe experience some sentiment of success, to maybe experience some sense of wholeness. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another second. Who did she talk to before she went? Did she ask anybody? She has no friends. She doesn't have to talk to anybody. She doesn't have to check it out. All she knows is that he heals and that's all that I know. I've tried everything. I'm in a desperate situation. I can't get to him on my own. I can't, I can't get salvation on my own. And so she begins to walk out to him. And she, begins, she, she sees him there. But he's in the middle of a ton of people. And so she makes a decision right then and there. She's, she decides, I'm going to come up behind him. I'm going to come up behind him. And I'm so desperate, I'm so in this situation where I can't heal myself that all I'm going to do is I just want to touch his garment. Because, listen, she's so unclean. You, you have to understand in that time, many, many people, in fact, most people would have known she has an issue of blood and therefore she is ceremonially unclean. She's an outcast. No one wants to be around her. And so maybe she puts a shroud on and she thinks, I don't want to walk up to Jesus because no one's going to let me in the crowd. I don't want to say, hey, Jesus, I've got this blood issue. That would be pretty embarrassing. She doesn't want to reveal what's wrong with her right there. But she knows that she has stuff that's wrong with her. And it's the same with you. You don't have to Stand up and announce all of your sin. You can privately, right here and right now, speak to God. You can acknowledge the fact that I have spiritual disease. And I see all of the points that I've desperately searched after salvation. My meaning, my purpose, my goals, my vision. You can acknowledge to him, God, all of those ways only brought me suffering. And it's brought me to a place of spiritual poverty where I have nothing. And you can tell them right here and right now. 
you can speak to him and you can say, I believe that you are the healer that can heal my heart right here and right now. I believe that. And so she gathers herself and somehow she gets into the crowd and she gets carried along with the crowd and she's, she's just trying to make her way to him. She's just, I'm just hoping that someone doesn't see me here. If I could just touch him, I'm just hoping that no one knows that I'm in the midst of this group and I've touched 20, 30 people as I've walked to Jesus and I've made them unclean and I just, I just want to get to Jesus. And she says to herself, if I just touch his garment, I'll be made well. If I just, if I, if I just touch him, So she reaches out her hand, and it's just this simple. There's no pomp, no circumstance. There's no music playing in the background. There's just commotion. She just, I just, this is all that I have. This is all that I can do. This is all that I have left. I'm just going to touch his garment. And like that, she's healed instantaneously. Like that, in that moment, she is completely healed. She's completely made well, like in an instant, in a moment. And the same offer is made to you here this morning. There are no right words to say. There's no right process. Your theology could be backwards. You could be wrong about so many things. You may not know what it's going to require of you. Jesus will heal you. You may not have read the Bible very much. Jesus will heal you. You may not have anything to bring to him. Jesus will heal you. You may feel like you have a weight of sin upon you. Jesus will heal you. You may feel like you have no way of repaying him. Jesus heals you. That's the only way he will take you. You can't have anything left. You have to have an empty purse and a frail body. And the inability to save yourself, that's the only kind of people he saves. And reach out your hand and touch the hem of his garment. And believe I will be healed. And you will be healed. Some of you are sitting here. And you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to tell anybody. You don't need to talk to anybody about it. You could do it right here and right now. If I just touch the hem of his garment. I will be healed. Jesus is inviting you. To him today right here and right now and I beg you don't put it off don't stop thinking about what people would think about you stop thinking about the friends that will no longer talk to you stop thinking about whatever it is that's keeping you from coming to Jesus and come to him now come to him in this moment you don't know what's going to happen in your life you don't know what will take place. You don't know if you will have this opportunity again. 
You don't know what that looks like. Do it today. Do it now. Speak to Jesus. He will make you well. One of the most beautiful parts of this story. When Jesus, he acknowledges that power has gone out of me. And it says in verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he says something to her that he doesn't say to any other woman in the Bible. This is the only time that Jesus, this is the only person that he calls daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Think about this. If you can, while a siren goes by. Thank you. That was kind. Jesus is in a crowd. Thank you. They just waved. It's hilarious. That <laughs> is so good. Thank you. Hundreds of people are around Jesus. One touches him. He says, I felt power go out of me. Who was it? Do you think Jesus doesn't know? Jesus knows. She re, she's kind of doing one of these. And then she goes, uh, everyone else is gone. She, when she realizes that she's not hidden, when she realizes this, she comes trembling and she falls down in front of him and just says, I've spent everything that I have and I'm sorry, I just, I just wanted a little bit. And Jesus just says, I think this is what Jesus says. I'm adding here a little bit. So one of my elders prayed that I wouldn't add anything to the scripture this morning, but I'm gonna add this, okay? I think Jesus was just like, I know. I just wanted to see you. I just wanted to love on you for a second. She, whose daughter is she? She's nobody's daughter. She's unclean. Who, what friends does she have? It's not a friend. It's daughter. You're a part of my family. What is Jesus offering you? She's saying, I know. I know who it was all along. I just wanted to break it to you softly. I saw you as you're walking up. I've seen you in the midst of your disease. I've seen you suffering all these years. I've seen you spend everything that you have. And I've longed to have a relationship with you. I've longed to be with you, my daughter, my son. I've longed to bring healing into your life. I've, I've desired to not just have friendship, but to invite you into my family. 
daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And that is the promise that he gives. She walked in with disease, with dis-ease. And she walked out with peace. You may have walked in here today with spiritual dis-ease. And you may walk out with peace. That's the invitation. Let's uh, partake of the Lord's table here. If you didn't grab communion on the way in, it's right out here. Feel free to get up and grab that. Jesus ultimately went to the cross for your and my spiritual disease. Jesus went to the cross to heal you, to take away all of your disease. And the scriptures say that on the night that he was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. And it's like in that act of breaking it, Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be broken for you. I'm going to be diseased for your disease. I'm going to be tortured for the, all the ways that you have tortured others. I'm going to be spat upon for all the people that you spat on. I'm going to become like someone with immorality so that I can take on your immorality. He says, this is my body which is broken for you in all of your stuff, in all of your disease. We just take a moment, just confess. We just take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes, and just talk to Jesus. Let's repent right here and right now. Lord Jesus, I know my brokenness. I see it because of what happened earlier this week. Lord, I acknowledge my sinfulness before you. I realize that you had to go to the cross for me in order to resolve that sinfulness. And this morning, I remember that you went to the cross for that sin. And I acknowledge it and I, and I praise you because your body was broken for me. Thank you for your forgiveness through your death, through your shed blood, through your broken body. Jesus says, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the body. He says, this is my, my blood. This is my 
lifeblood has broke, that was shed for you, that covers all of your sins. There's nothing that you, there's no blood that you can offer. There's no payment. I gave my blood for it. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your cross. Thank you that you offer it free of charge. Lord, may those who know that they need to receive you, I pray that they would have already done it, that they would not delay another moment. Lord, at some point, I pray that they would tell someone and begin to live for you as a disciple. It's in your name.